0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. On Money FM 89.3, The Washington
1: Report with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief with The Straits Times. Well, over the weekend, the G7 group reached a historic or an historic deal to make multinational companies pay more taxes. The deal between the U.S., the U.K., France, Germany, Canada, Italy, Japan, plus the EU could see billions of dollars flow to governments to pay off debt incurred during the COVID crisis. They also agreed, in principle at least, to a global minimum corporate tax rate of 15 percent to avoid countries undercutting each other. So how will this deal work? We've been talking about this with Ryan earlier and which companies will likely be hit by this. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice in the U.S. has also now overturned a long-standing practice to seize records of journalists in leak investigations. What's the context behind this move and could it improve relationship between the White House and the U.S. media? Plus, former U.S. President Donald Trump kicking off a summer campaign to support the GOP. But is his strategy of falsely claiming the 2020 election was fraudulent helping? or hindering the party. We will get the answers to all of that with Straits Times Bureau Chief Nirmal Gosha. Good evening to you uh, there in Washington, Nirmal. So let's let's kick things off first with the G7. The U.S. uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the agreement on that global minimum tax would end the race to the bottom in corporate taxation and also ensure Uh, fairness for the middle class and working people in the U.S. and in fact for everyone else all over the world. So can you share more on how this agreement would work, which companies are likely to be affected, and also the reaction there in the U.S.? Hello, good morning. Yes, this has been about eight
0: years in the making. So, this would ensure that companies operating out of tax havens will, in fact, be taxed. It will theoretically raise hundreds of billions of dollars, which would help governments around the world which need the money, especially now when many economies are suffering because of the COVID pandemic. So, most impacted will be the big tech giants. Facebook has already said it will be impacted. Amazon and Google will certainly be impacted. The deal has two components. The most important is the minimum tax of 15%. This does not mean that all countries must increase their corporate tax rates to 15%. It means multinational profits will be subjected to 15% at a minimum. Take, for example, a German multinational that books income in, say, Bermuda or Ireland, Taxed at an effective rate of, say, 5%. Germany would now collect an extra 10% tax to arrive at a rate of 15%, and other nations will do that. This significantly reduces incentives for multinational firms to book profits in tax havens and also removes the incentives of tax havens to offer lower taxes. Now, the second part of the deal is a change in the way profits are allocated across countries. For some big companies, some profits will be allocated to countries where sales are made. For example, if a company is registered in Bermuda, but it does all its sales in the United States where its customers are, then its profits will be allocated to it in the United States. That is, countries have the right to tax a certain proportion of of the multinational's profits in the locations where they are generated. But there's still a long way to go to make this actually happen. Mm -hmm. There are at least two challenges ahead. The first is winning the backing of the G20 group of nations, which will meet in Venice next month. And then wider global negotiations, which are being conducted among 139 countries at the OECD in Paris. So it's going to be a while, and the details may look quite different at the end of it. But that's a broad idea, and many believe it's an idea whose time has come, given the enormous profits that many of these companies make while paying very little tax, or in some cases even no tax at all in the countries where they operate.
1: Well, since it's eight years in the making, it's good to see some progress finally happening on this uh, this plan. Moving on, uh, Nirmal, the U.S. Department of Justice uh, says it is ending a long-standing practice of secretly obtaining the records of journalists during investigations into the leak of classified information. Now, this comes... After the U.S. President Joe Biden described the practice as wrong and the use of subpoenas and court orders to, well, obtain journalists' records have come under growing scrutiny as well this year. What's the exact context behind this change? And, well, how will it affect the way investigations in the future are carried out, and will this, uh, do you think, enable trust between U.S. media and the White House? Yes, uh, as you said, this was part of an investigation
0: into leaks to the media during the Trump administration, and it was done in the last days of the Trump administration, but it's also been done on the previous administrations. So the DOJ now says it will not, quote, seek compulsory legal process in leak investigations to obtain source information from members of the news media doing their jobs. Unquote. So in ruling out compulsory legal process, the department appears to be saying it will not force journalists to reveal the identity of their sources. Certainly, this is good news for journalists, but I don't think it will make much difference in terms of trust, a fundamentally adversarial relationship, not necessarily hostile, though it does get that way, but adversarial, that will continue. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode.
1: On Friday, the president uh, rejected an increase $50 billion infrastructure offer from a group of Senate Republicans saying that it uh, did not meet his objectives to grow the economy uh, or tackle climate change and even create uh, new jobs. So what are the hopes of achieving a more substantial package? There
0: are a lot of negotiations going on, but just a few hours ago, Transport Secretary Pete Buttigieg said there remain major differences over the size of this spending plan. The administration maintains that the Republicans offer falls short of being the sort of transformative plan they want for a generational investment. What are the chances? Look, we do know that the American people are in favor of infrastructure, but there are a lot of points of contention, not least of which are plans to increase taxes on the wealthy, which includes corporations, in order to pay for all this. The risk is always that the proposal will end up half-baked. But we don't know at what point the administration will be okay with an offer from the Republicans. Remember, it probably took a maximalist position to begin with. Now it is $1.7 trillion, and Senate Republicans are proposing $928 billion. The gap will close for sure, but not completely. And frankly, there's no way of telling where the two will meet.
1: Normal. the uh, president also defending uh, the president's top COVID-19 advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, while well, scrutiny in recent days of his recently released work emails, his emails raise questions on whether he backed Chinese denials of the theory that COVID-19 leaked from a lab in Wuhan. So, so far though, Nirmal, what has uh, Dr. Fauci said about, uh, about this controversy? Well, he maintains that the most likely
0: origin of the virus was from a jump from an animal species to a human, that given the historical record, that is the most likely. But he has kept an open mind and will keep an open mind that it could have been a lab leak and that we should continue to look for the origin. And he also maintains that it is far-fetched that the Chinese deliberately manufactured something which would kill people, including themselves. And he has made the point that as more information comes in, as you get more data, one's opinion and recommendations change based on that current data, the current science. This is in reference to the mask issue, which has been controversial from the beginning in America. Of course, as we have seen the pandemic, the issue of masks, of lockdowns, has all become very political in the United States. And among conservatives and anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, the opinion of Dr. Fauci is very low. They call him public enemy number one in some cases. And this does nothing to improve it, even if Dr. Fauci makes his case on those emails. But he does continue to have the confidence of the president.
1: One last thing I want to ask you about, uh, Nirmal, is the former president, Donald Trump. Back in the limelight again and making the rounds in in the U.S., giving a speech, in fact, to the North Carolina Republic Convention. And in his speech, of course, as we all expected, he focused on his loss, his 2020 election loss, again claiming that it is the crime of the century. How is this approach, though, hindering potentially the GOP's uh, moving forward in the 2022 midterm elections?
0: Well, it appeals to a narrow base in a shrinking party. It doesn't attempt to broaden the appeal. And it casts the electoral battle as a battle to take the country back. And by back, he means back from leftists, back from immigrants and so forth. We have seen, however, that statistically, Republicans are having difficulty in winning the popular vote. They win the Electoral College, but not the popular vote. And last time around, the Democrats won both. A lot of Republicans see no future in this narrow approach. But Donald Trump has a pretty firm grip over the party because he has what amounts to his personal base. And they will do what he tells them to do. But that may not be broad enough to get moderates on board and have them win an election. Now, in the midterms, they may win back some seats. Yes, that is what usually happens in midterms. The incumbent party loses some seats.
1: But in the general election in 2024, that's going to be a very different story. Well, we're going to expect Donald Trump celebrating if uh, the GOP indeed win more seats during the midterms next year. Thanks, Nirmal, for your U.S. update. Nirmal Ghosh, Straits Times U.S. Bureau Chief, joining us there from Washington. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
0: Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.